Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Jeff Fiegels. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. Day two of mandatory minicamp in the book. So we'll recap what happened during the course of practice as well as the media sessions that followed. We'll get to your phone calls. We'll get to your tweets as well. Jeff, let's start with the media sessions. And it was interesting. Eric Flowers came out and addressed the media for the first time since he moved from left tackle to right tackle and you know flowers was very open with the media about his emotions his feelings you know normally in the past we haven't really heard much in great detail from eric flowers he's a very soft-spoken player and he talked about what it's been like adjustment adjusting from the left side to the right side and how he and patrick omame are essentially going through the same thing because omame who also has had experience both on the left and the right side but last few years he's mainly been a left guard so the two of them in unison seem to be spending more time with one another is what he said both before and after practice so that they can go over footwork and all of the other mm. differences that now go into playing on the opposite side. Well, I just think right there, Amame being the veteran, and I know that Eric Flowers is a veteran by numbers, but I feel like just that relationship and just how one works and one can learn from another, I think that's a step in the right direction. And I think that every that's a positive. And I think just the fact that Eric Flowers has opened up a little bit and, and, and maybe – finally understands that he needs to to do things a little bit different uh i think the first step was him getting here i think that was probably a big one i mean i don't I, it, before that didn't sound to me like he really wanted to be here until until he showed up and now things would be a little bit different and i think that that right side there's a lot to learn a lot of different things to learn a lot of different stance obviously and and um you know just being a better player than he needs to be but i, I tell you a lot of veteran leadership at that line when you talk about nate solder too um, th those guys can help those two, Will Hernandez and Eric Flowers, for sure. And Flowers had mentioned that he's been working with Solder, who has taken his spot on the left side. And to your point, Jeff, you know, Flowers did say he was hurt when he found out the news. He didn't necessarily hold back, but he said that he looks at this as another opportunity to prove himself and an opportunity to give the Giants a reason why he good. should be one of the starting five offensive linemen. Well, good. I, 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 I have no problems with when things like this happen and I've seen it happen and I've seen the good and the bad. I've seen the good where somebody actually takes on the, uh, the challenge, if you will, and take and, and, and understands, okay, I basically got benched. They went and signed the highest paid offensive lineman in the league is now on our team. And he's the, t he's the position that I played. Yeah, that should make me mad. And now they're going to move me over here. But I will tell you this, what would make me happy would be the fact that at least they didn't put me on the bench and I'm, they still have me yeah. as a starter, okay? So, but I'm gonna challenge myself to be the best I can and win and still earn that that starting job, and go out and play and 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 play for another contract. His contract is up after this season, and if you want to keep going on, then and maybe it, whether it's here or somewhere else, you're gonna have to play. Even though it's the right tackle position, you still gotta play good. Yeah, whether you're playing to continue your career here Doesn't matter. or elsewhere, yeah. it makes no difference. I'm yeah. with you, Jeff. So, Absolutely. I mean, the motivation is there. And he also seems to, Jeff, be adopting and opening up to the philosophy of Pat Shermer that everybody has a clean slate. Okay. Because Eli Apple seems to be embracing well, that the same exact way that Eric I also is. I also read that even Eli Manning had mentioned that little clean slate thing. You know, like coming off of a bad year and all kinds. I, listen. I don't care if you're Pat Shermer and he tells you it's a clean slate. Every new head coach that comes in is going to give these players an opportunity to sh prove to him 
that they can play and be on the team and start. So you can take it for what it's worth, clean slate, whatever. The bottom line is it's what you have to do individually to understand that I got to get better. And, and no matter what, you either, st- you either get better or you get worse. You never stay the same, okay? Um, and t- Coach Coffin always used to say that. And you got to take that. You got to say, okay, you know what? Am I going to get better at right tackle, Eric Flowers? Yes, I'm going to try and I'm going to do everything I can. Um, but I think that, you know, having a clean slate, it's all about attitude. This game's about attitude. It's, a pr- it's, a, it's attitude of how you prepare to play, how you work, how you practice. It's all about attitude. If you have the right one, You'll be successful. Seems to me that Eric Flowers in the past hasn't had that great of an attitude, if you ask me, um, about giving uh, hoots about this or that. Gets beat for a sack. Uh, the body, your the body, body language. language. We've seen it. It's just like if to the, the normal person looking at that is like, are you kidding me? What's the problem with this guy? You know? So maybe he's going to improve on, on a little bit of uh, demeanor, too. Well, listen, it's only a small interaction with reporters, but I think at this point he's saying all the right things, Jeff. Good, good. And you know what? I I really believe that um, when you look back at last season, I mean, John Jerry was a veteran and and Justin Pugh was a veteran and those kind of guys. But you know what? They weren't veterans like a Nate Solder. Okay, they weren't guys like, you know, you could really understand that Nate Solder was the left tackle for number 12. Do you understand that? I mean, that is if you're not going to if you're going to have you can't have much of a better veteran lineman than that. Okay. Um, now, I know he wasn't this perennial pro bowler guy and this and this and this. In fact, it's very difficult to make it as an offensive lineman because the guys just get they just get re-upped every year for the pro bowl kind of stuff. It's stupid. But the fact is, is that Nate Solder has been in an organization and been the left tackle of Tom Brady. I'm sure that Tom Brady has a lot to say about how he's playing, <laughs> you know. And so <laughs> yeah. I think that now just a, tad. just a bit, right? And I think that with Eric Flowers, the presence of having some veteran leadership in there. And again, this goes back on Dave Gettleman. Gabe Gettleman looked at this roster and said, where's the leadership? Where's the veteran leadership? I got to go get some guys. They went out and get Ogletree. They get Nate Solder. Okay, they get guys. They get um, 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 William Gay as a, a, in the backfield. You know, they had problems with those guys last year. So every little key aspect of veteran leadership has been addressed by Dave Gettleman in the offseason to be able to help each one of these little positions. And it, and it makes a difference, trust me. To also provide stability in yeah. and out of the locker room because Solder is a guy who understands what a winning culture is about consistently. You think? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that... You know, and I got to I tell you, you just the way that that Pat Shermer has done things around here. And I think it's it's bringing out the confidence in players like Eric Flowers. Eric Flowers never seemed to me to have that much confidence in himself. Well, now it's a clean slate, whatever you want to call it. Maybe that's what he needed. Maybe he needed an opportunity. Now he's at a new position and a new coach and new set of eyes on you, a new a new um, uh, position coach. With um, Hal Hunter, who has a reputation of being a great offensive line mind in the, in the game, these are all good things for him. That's why, if you're Eric Flowers, anything that happened last season, throw it out the window. Because good new, for him. New individuals are evaluating you. You're also playing alongside new teammates, by the way. Solder and Omame weren't with you. Yeah. So yeah. when you take that all into consideration, why wouldn't he try to take advantage of this opportunity? The other thing that was interesting that Flowers said, Jeff, and you know we brought this up in the show multiple times, the fact that when he was a freshman at Miami, he actually started right tackle. Yeah. But what he pointed out, he says, keep in mind, 
I only played four games at right tackle when I was a freshman, so I never truly took really? on the identity of being a right tackle. I thought it was more than that, only four. Yeah. yeah, it's a very small sample size. Yeah, very. So he said that had I played more games there as a freshman, I probably could tap into my experience at right tackle as a freshman a little bit more and apply what I did technique-wise. He goes, considering it was so small – there's not much more that I could tap back into. It's it's essentially learning a completely new position. Sure. Well, and and that's true. And you know, one thing that he can have a little bit of recollection is that he did at least play in some games, um, and that he understands. You know, <laughs> he's on the right side, not the left side. <laughs> that's important. <laughs> that's step um, one. I'm just wondering when he, you know the first couple of times if he actually went to the right or to the left. You know, coming out of the huddle. Well, it's understandable <laughs> given the fact that you've been so used to doing that. But I, I feel like just like with any other position, it's reps. It's um, it's practice time, and he'll get used to it. You know, obviously the right and the left are different in your stances and coming out of it. Um, so that's probably the biggest thing as far as muscle memory, trying to break it. Um, I guess you equate it going playing golf right-handed and going to left, left-handed, I guess. I don't know. Um, but well, Hal that, Hunter used that analogy. Oh, did he really? The offensive line coach. It's yeah, funny you brought good that minds up. Great minds think alike. Really, exactly. really there do. you go. So. Especially anything with golf <laughs> is good for me. Um, but I think that, that's probably, you know, it, it, you have to think a little bit about that, and that'll take some time. And that's why, that's why – the, that's why the team wanted him here in the OTAs and then the offseason and things like that because it is a new position and there is a lot of nuance that comes with it and you have to practice it and you want your coaches here to be able to monitor and then say, hey, go work on this or go work on that. If you're not here, you know, you're not going to be able to do that. So, you know, kudos to him for showing up and, and putting in the effort because the Giants need him to play well. He's a good player. He's young too. He's 24 years old. I mean, come on. Well, Dave Gettleman's famous line, you don't give up on talent. Well, this is one of them, especially a first-rounder you don't want to give up on. And I will tell you, you know, we all know that it wasn't Dave Gettleman's pick, but the fact of the matter is he still was a first-round draft pick. And that you know, and one thing and I've he's noticed— He's still on a rookie contract, too. There you go. And one thing that, you, that I've always noticed around the National Football League is that your draft number, if you do get drafted, is pinned on you for life. I mean, it's a it, label. Yeah. It, it is a label. It's really incredible. And, and some, some guys, you know, they, they take that and run with it. Really? I'm a third round draft pick. I got drafted in the third round and now I'm a perennial pro bowler. And look, how about all you fools that missed out on me? I mean, they really take this stuff seriously. Yeah. I mean, think about all the fools that missed out on you, Jeff. So how I mean, about all those no guys? Label. Well, most of them were probably <laughs> dead by now. They did not the draft back then. It was so long ago. Yeah, but you told them so, though. You told them. I did. You told them with your foot. Yep, I showed them more yeah, than told them. Let the them. leg do the talking. That's right. Also yeah. on the subject of offense, before we open up the lines at 2019394513, Mike Shula and James Betcher also spoke to the media. Let's start with Shula briefly, the offensive coordinator. And one of the things he pointed out is there is no identity yet to this offense in terms of what they want to be. He says they want to be a versatile offense okay. where they're going to pound the football. They want to involve the deep ball as far as, you know, is it a zone blocking scheme that they want to adapt to? He goes, right now, everything's on the table. They're not saying to themselves they've got to be this one facet of an offense because they don't want to be predictable, which is understandable. And I don't think that's necessarily a surprise what Mike Shula related to the media. In terms of Eli Manning, he said having a veteran obviously makes this offense that much more easier to adapt for the players because you have somebody that's been there and done that. And he goes, you know, Eli is like a Phillip Rivers. He's like a Tom Brady. These quarterbacks, Drew Brees 
at this point in their career, he says, they all essentially know what they can do and what they can't do, and they know the limits on their body. Because you don't okay. last this long in the league without at least having a good read on yourself. <laughs> and, and that was the larger point that he was trying to bring up in relation to some of those other veteran quarterbacks. <laughs> well, certainly we know how, how uh, Eli reacted to what he could and couldn't do last year. I mean, there, <laughs> there was people diving at his feet while he was passing the football, and he yeah. knew that. I remember – you all know the move. He just – that, that – Chuck and turn the shoulder and hit the ground. I mean, that's 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 knowing that you have to get out of the way. And um, I, I think that right now, you know, the team is lucky to have someone like Eli because not only is he a good player and a smart player, um, he understands the offense just as good as uh, Coach Shermer and and Mike Shula. I mean, th- these guys. I mean, he's a, he's basically an offensive coordinator on the field, and I think that. That makes you feel real comfortable being a coach, knowing that you have somebody like there. The other thing that makes me comfortable if I'm his coach is the fact that what he said. Eli knows what he can and he can't do. Now, sometimes that's hard to understand in a game because you try to force things as a football player and being a professional athlete. You think you can do some try things. Try to do too much. Yeah. And, and, and that gets you in trouble. And I think that Eli is guilty of that, just like Ben Roethlisberger and Phillip Rivers or any of those guys for that matter. Um, all those guys try to make plays. And sometimes it comes back to haunt them. But I feel like this offense, Eli's not going to have to make big plays. Just get the ball in some other guys' hands to make big plays, you know. When you look at Evan Ingram and Shepard and Odell Beckham and now Saquon Barkley, okay, get those are big playmakers now. You don't have to do a lot here. And I think pounding the football, Jonathan Stewart will be here, you know, to make some make some runs. And, and you got Wayne Gallman and Saquon Barkley between those three guys. They should be able to run the football. The greatest thing about this offense that I see as an advantage point from this year to last year is that this team will have the ability to line up on the football on second and six, second and five, okay, third and two, third and three, rather than second and ten and third and nine. Those are big differences when you're calling plays because of the running game and the offensive lineman and how everything is going to work. It's the biggest impact of the run game. Short yardage situations on third down, which has been lacking for the Giants over the last few Horrible. seasons. And even when they've had those opportunities, Jeff, they, they couldn't convert. Yeah. Because you know why? Because they're predictable. And that's why I think Mike Shula is saying what he's saying to us is that we do not want to be a predictable offense because they were predictable last year. And the year, you know, 11 personnel, how many times did we see it? Oh, there they are again, you know. So, listen, if you're an 11 personnel and you're good at it, then run it and be good at it. But you know what? The Giants weren't good at it, and they were so predictable on first and second down. It was ridiculous. So they don't want to be that way this year. That's why they want to be able to take advantage of the versatility of the roster and have the offense clearly reflect that. Now, speaking of personnel and how to utilize players, James Betcher was asked a lot about the fact that on paper, not a lot of guys on this roster have high sack totals, whether it be over the course of their careers or on an individual basis. And, you know, he says he's still learning about the strengths of this team, but he's excited for clearly for them to put the pads on because that's when he's going to have a better idea. <laughs> a typical defensive guy, yeah. Which is understandable. <laughs> I don't think that was a stunning statement. But he's encouraged by having snacks on the first layer, Alec Ogletree on the second layer, and then Landon Collins on the third layer because he said if you take a straight line and you go from the start of the defense in the front all the way to the back, he says those are three Pro Bowl-esque 
type of players. Yeah. So when you have them setting the tone on every layer of the defense, he feels good that, hey, they may not have a roster full of guys with 10 sacks, but he feels that there's enough playmakers at every level that that will create opportunities for the entirety of the defense. I hope so. But I still believe some somehow in some way that, you, that this team has got to get after the quarterback. You know, And I think that for any team, for that matter, I mean – Defense, especially this team, has got to be able to put pressure on the quarterback, and then those linebackers and those defensive backs and safeties can make some plays. And you know, but I think that James Betcher understands, and he will get to understand his offense, or excuse me, his personnel a little bit more once they start to hit and do things. Because right now it's just plug and play. All right, I got uh, number 96, uh, Kareem Martin, is the left end over here. I know how he played in Arizona. You know, but how is he going to play along with um, with Hill and Tomlinson and Snacks and all those other guys in a different in a different alignment than they're used to? Now, I'm not worried about Snacks. We talked about it a little bit yesterday. He came from a three-four when he played in in, in New York uh, for the Jets. So, and and by the way, he did pretty well there, and that's why the Giants went out and yes, got him. Yes, that was a big reason. So, I mean, I I feel like that's going to be a, a really good thing. But when you look at layers of the defense, I can see certainly what he what he's talking about. You got good quality, smart football players that can make plays, and then the other guys can make plays around them. Well, and to that point, he said, Betcher, the success of this defense, Jeff, is going to start on the interior. It's whether or not those guys are going to win their battles. Players like B.J. Hill, who they drafted, as well as Snacks, he says, if they win their battles individually, if they get pressure and they force the offensive line to react, then that's going to open up opportunities for the edge linebackers as well as the defensive linemen. So he defines this defense, not necessarily having an identity yet, but he says, What's going to make or break this defense is the play of the interior. Okay. That's what it's going to come down to. I am good, and I'm glad he's addressing that, um, and we'll see. I mean, they've got uh, – listen, B.J. Hill, I think, is going to be surprise some people, and I think that Snacks likes him. I mean, he plays along the side of him, so he gets an, an understanding of him, but I think that will make a big difference there. Um, and, and they have a little bit of depth at that defensive tackle position, which is nice. Um, I'm still a little bit – uh, not concerned, but I'm just I I want to I want to see some improvement on on the outside and get some you know you know is uh, Lorenzo Carter going to be a guy that can put pressure on uh, is Aquara are these guys going to be uh, successful getting after the quarterback Avery starting Moss up front. is another one yeah all of and, these young guys who don't have huge resumes I agree with you Jeff and you know the other player who we didn't mention is Dalvin Tomlinson who had a good rookie year but I think he actually is an X factor this season Jeff because if they move him to the outside and they give him opportunities to play defensive end I mean not regularly but they're going to pick yeah. their points if he could get to the quarterback which is not necessarily his mo over the course of his career. You know, that could go a long way to defining how successful this defense is going to be. Well, I think it's going to be interesting to watch the uh, personnel, um, I guess, what I was say, during training camp. Look at the, look at the – Where the, they line them up. Where they line them up. Absolutely. Okay. And, and then the, let's see if it's consistent. If it's consistent, that means they're actually doing what they want them to do. But if all of a sudden you see a lot of changes going on, there's some problems. They're not they're they're not they're not convinced that this guy can play here or there, um, and that's when you kind of see guys start moving around or even getting you know out of the picture and somebody else comes in. But um, 
So it'll be interesting that you know this this team is not going to show much in preseason, but they do they do a lot more in in training camp. Now, one thing that the Giants are going to do this year is they're going to go up and they're going to scrimmage against the Detroit Lions. And I think that you know the last time the Giants did that was with against Cincinnati a few years ago. And I, I I'm a firm believer that this is the best way to practice in preseason because you get really other than the fact that it's a real game, it's in a real stadium and real fans and you know all the hoopla of the of the preseason games, I believe you get so much more pro- productivity and evaluation out of going against another team in practice for 3 days than you do one preseason game. And I think that's why this it's a I think it's it's something that it's going to change. I think a lot of teams are going to start going to this. They have in the past last year they did, and I think it's just a better evaluation process. It's almost like, you know, in college when they go and practice in the East-West uh, game or the Senior Bowl thing, look at all the reps that these guys get during the week. During the week leading up to the game. And so from an evaluation because that's what that's what the Senior Bowl is all about. Well, isn't that what the what training camp practices are all about? Evaluating and building your roster. You don't get to see a lot of it in a in a football game on on a Saturday night at seven thirty when the starters are playing one series. That's it. I mean, these guys get a lot more than one series in three days of practice against the Lions or the Bengals from an offensive line position or a defensive line position than they do in one game. Yeah, because you're not necessarily up against the clock, so you can They're not. run the same place. Yeah, you're up against times. a period. You're up Correct. against a ten fifteen minute period. Okay, well, a ten or fifteen minute period is a long time. Not to mention you're doing it three days in a row. That's almost a half of football. I mean, it's it's really a good thing to do, and you know, and I think that a lot of teams are more receptive to doing it. And I think you're going to see a lot of them do it more. I agree with you. I think they're extremely valuable. I'm, I'm surprised that we're actually not at the point where teams don't get together and one of their preseason games becomes a joint practice <laughs> every single summer. Well, I mean, I I, I think that um, you almost could do you know something like they do in lacrosse, all these lacrosse tournaments that you do, where you bring in three or four teams, right, and they rotate. You know, so the first week, the first game, you first week, excuse me, the first day you're 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 scrimmaging the Falcons. Let's just say that there's three there. So it's Detroit, the Falcons, and and call it New York, the Giants. And you know, the first day, yeah, these guys, the defense, number one defense is going against the number one offense against the the Lions, and you just kind of mingle through you go it. Go in and out, yeah, yeah, and, so and that so, you don't hit each other, meaning your absolutely, own teammates absolutely for three days because you get tired of that. Yeah, you now you're going up against yeah. Other but players. I think it's an evaluation process. It's a, it's a huge evaluation tool for these teams to be able to to evaluate their player against other teams' players too. All right, let's open up the phone lines, 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat. We'll also get to your tweets. Dave is in Cranford. Dave, what's happening? How are you guys? Great to talk to you. Hi, oh, right, Dave. Thanks for making the call, Dave. What do you have for us? So two two things I wanted to comment on. One is just, you know, and I, I know that you you can only pick up so much, but – it just seems like, from the interviews and the position, it just seems like the attitude in camp. You can just see a certain energy, um, a certain w- willing to turn the page. Uh, it, it just seems, you know, like there's a new, you know, uh, feeling around the team um, in terms of just a, a lot of the players. And I, I, again, it's an intangible. I get it, but but I think you guys seem to be, you know, hitting on it as well. And I, I just like to get your comments on that. Well, I would agree with you, Dave. I think there is that feeling of optimism. I think a lot of guys who had up and down seasons in 2017, you know, have 
a real positive outlook. I, I think I get that from just listening to them. But, you know, I, I'm going to be extremely cautious because personally, I'm one who doesn't put a lot of stock in press conferences and I don't put a lot of stock in meetings with the media. The reason being is there's a lot of players out there, and I'm not saying that there's a lot of players on this roster, but Jeff, you can speak volumes to this, who are very good in handling the media. Yeah. And they know when to say certain things. They know how to sell themselves. So that's why you can only read so much <laughs> into the interaction between players and reporters. It's all about, at the end of the day, what happens between the lines when they get out on the field. But I would agree with you, Dave. From an optic standpoint, everything looks great. What does yep. that mean in the big picture of things? I, I really, at this point, would say I don't think it means much of anything because until yep. we see a preseason game and a regular season game, I could tell you everybody's saying the greatest thing ever and everybody's giving you the money quote and it doesn't translate to the field. And I, if I can, Dave, I, I feel like at least everything is moving in the right direction and I think that from an organizational standpoint from the beginning when the – when the when they made the change with the GM and the head coach and you know the 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 word culture kind of came in and and I think that that was something that was immediately had to be changed I think Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer overextended themselves in a way that they wanted to be so over the top with it that it's worked to this point now it's just a yep. matter of, of cohesiveness and getting this team to, to play together and become one as a team and I'm just as this are cliches as you hear in football but you know you, you really want that type of camaraderie that all 53 guys are eventually going to do it to start to start the season yep. uh, I agree I, I, I would also um comment just on the on the defense side it seems like there's been more which is interesting to me more comments just on in terms of what the identity of this defense is going to be a lot of conversation around where you know where sacks are going to come from all that sort of stuff it, you know it, it kills me to say this but um one of the defensive coordinators that i think has over the years gotten the most out of his defense mainly through effort because i don't think they're that talented is ironically the the Cowboys and Rod Marinelli or Rod Marinelli, yeah. and he that defense uh, flies to the ball. They play fast. They play hard. They're, I, I don't think that their talent at times has been that great. And and I just use that as an example. I, I, the, the 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 things you hear coming out of Betcher in terms of the players and the and the interesting part is more. How much they talk about the relationship. There was a quote from Kareem Martin in particular, who's played with him in Arizona, that just talked about how he, he feels like Betcher cares for him personally. Um, and, I, and I hope and think that that's probably the case. But when a player is saying that, you know, and what that can build in terms of a defense, and just Betcher's view that, you know, he wants to have an aggressive, fast defense that flies to the ball. A lot of times when you have that, it can mask a lot of other weaknesses in your defense, and it can make the defense that much more productive. And and I think that's, to me, when I look at this defense, that's where I think, you know, um, the old days of the Giants, I mean, you you know, you guys all remember the, the, you know, the main stories and histories of the past where, you know, you saw the, the Giants where, where there, there wasn't one or two or three guys to the ball, there was there were six or seven guys to the ball. And and I think that's where they're going to see a, see an upgrade. So I'd love to hear your comments, and, and I'll take sure. that off air. Thanks, I thanks so much, I appreciate the phone call. Thanks well, so much. I, I will tell you that, you know, I've gotten to know James Betcher over the last two or three months pretty well. Um, but I also got to know Steve Spagnola too. And I know that they're very similar in the, in the sense that they do care about their players. And I think that most coaches do. Don't get me wrong. 
Um, I really do. I, and I just think that there's sometimes that some coaches go out of their way just a little bit more than, than others to, to help their players, to get to know them. And in return, you get, the, you get players that will play for you. Okay, and not to say that uh, last year that Steve Spagnuolo didn't do that, but I just you know the, we can all just talk about what happened last year it was just a, a a litany of things that, that went wrong. But I think moving forward with Coach Betcher is that he has that care for his players. He calls the guys up into his office just to just to talk. Not that you're in trouble. Hey, come on up. How's the family? What's doing things? And, you know, you kind of start that relationship, and I think that it carries over onto the field. Now, these coaches all have a very um, – the ability to turn it on and off. Are you doing Lance in my office? Then you get on the field and there's a little bit difference. Okay. But that's a respect. That's a respect thing. You understand that when you go to work on the football field, you cannot take, you got to have thick skin. Do not take anything personally. We're trying to get work done on the field. And that means a lot. Now there's some guys that don't, they don't know the distinction. It's one way. It's it's kind of that hard nosed, mean coach, and he's still the same way in the in the in the building. And, and when you eat with them, it's just a just a jerk, you know. But we all have them. There's there's coaches yeah, like that, of course. But I don't know if there's that many of them on this roster. Well, I mean, I think related to this, Jeff is Tom Coughlin. In terms yeah. of how well, he made the adjustment, right? He started to open up. He started to show a different side of himself, his personal life, his family life. And when the players saw that, they opened up. They all of a sudden said, hey, I'm going to run through the wall for this guy. And they also understood that when you were on the practice field, it was all business. You know, the other guy like was like that was Holmgren, um, who I played for in, in Seattle. You know, great guy off the off the field, fun, big big dude now. I mean, very intimidating, but kind of just a teddy bear, you know, a nice guy and this and that. But I'll tell you what, on game day, <laughs> holy smokes. I mean, the guy is just a, just a, a crazy man. <laughs> you know? It's like and Dr. I, Jekyll and, and Mr. Oh, my Hyde. God. I mean, yeah. there is a, it's right, his, his picture is right next to that, <laughs> to that definition of who those people are. Oh, my God. It's just crazy. But, you know, these guys just uh, – and you have a respect for them. And you got to understand, listen, the, the NFL is not for the people that have thin skin to come in here. No matter if it's with your coaches, the players, there's guys that, you know, that, that – they balk at you on the field. They tell you this. They tell you that. If you're a guy that can't handle that, you're not going to be in this league long. Trust me. Well, and that's why it's a feeling out process. Whenever there's a new coach that takes over, from the player's standpoint, they need to get to know the coach. Coach needs to get the players. And then, you know, to what the caller was alluding to, I think if you establish the parameters of that mutual relationship, Jeff, fine. then all of a sudden the players know what the tendencies of the coach are. Coach knows what the tendencies of the players are, and I think you become more productive as a team. Correct. Correct. Yep. I think that's been well documented. All right. Let's head back to the phone lines. Nigel is in Maryland. Nigel, what's happening? Hey, good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Thank Hi, you Nigel. Call. Yes, sir. Um, you actually shortened my call because I was actually going to call in to ask about training camp and the CBA parameters and scrimmages and things like that and you you guys already touched on that which is which is very informative and 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 You're awesome. Welcome. Uh the second thing I was going to uh talk about was I'm sure everybody observers and fans are looking at the team and looking at what's upcoming in the next what are, what are they going to be on like a 5 week hiatus before they come back for training camp. Yep. And Basically, they they have their checklist of what they want to see or curious of seeing. And the top three things that I'm looking at is, for one, the offensive line. 
just to see how they mesh and gel and how they perform, as well as uh, the just to see the guys who were down linemen DNs last year who are now transitioning to be in the odd front and be standing up. Guys like you mentioned, Aquara, uh, Avery Moss, OV, just to see how they actually perform with, as well as with the infusion, infusing the new talent with uh, Lorenzo Carter, just to see how these guys actually play. I don't know how much they're going to be in space, but I know they'll be standing up. So just to see how they transition and perform in that in that aspect, and lastly, the cornerback group, because everyone's been talking about we lost DRC, we lost DRC, which is which which was a big loss. I will I will admit to that. But what what's kind of getting overlooked is we lost Ross Cockrell as well, who was a who, who really played very well in my opinion. Yeah, he did last last year. So that we're actually down two performing corners. So just to see how how much William Gay has in the tank, if Eli Apple could regain the promise that we saw in his first year, and just who's going to come up to be that fourth cornerback. So that's that's really what I'm looking at. And what I pose to you guys is, what are, if you had to rank the, two, the, the top three things that you're looking at at this, this coming training camp, what would they be? And I'll take your answers offline. Thanks, All right, Nigel. Appreciate the phone call. I think it's good. Good to think about. Um, I haven't really thought much about. It. I think for me, it's probably would be the offensive line to see how they mesh together and what that combination of who is is Brett Jones going to be the starting center or is, is Halapo, Halapio, Halapio, Halapio. <laughs> I got like Jalapeno and 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 uh, Kinawa. I'm Somewhere a, in between. Uh, Jalapeno is, yeah. and Kinawa are on the offensive Just line. Just call him year. John H. How about Gee that? Whiz. Okay. Well, you know what? We got to come up with a nickname for him. Absolutely. That's what I think we got. You know, just like double O. Yeah. We've okay. got to come up with a nickname. Maybe the so, callers can give There we us, go. Give, this give is the some... question for the fans this offseason. Let's develop for a me. nickname just for Jeff Beagles <laughs> for John Jalapio. And and the other guy, too. Oma, Oma, Omaha. That's oh, what we're Patrick Omame. Omame. <laughs> no, like oh, no. <laughs> now we got Edamame. We got Edamame, Jalapeno. <laughs> And what else? Who else is there? What about what the big O? Grew? And the big O. The big O. The big O. Yeah. But you need my, to have your own set of nicknames. I guess That's my, what you got to <laughs> do. You just need to make those nicknames apparent to the I rest would like of the to see some of the callers. I would like to see some of their, you know, you can even put it on Twitter for us. But I, I think that that would be the number one thing for me is to see how the offensive line works. Um, and the other one is I want to see how these linebackers um, play because it's a different front, and I think with a different system is how these guys are going to mix it up a little bit with Coach Betcher's uh, new system. So those two things for me. I, Do you have I, a third I, one? Um, I think it's the third one would probably be who's who's going to be the third the the third the third and fourth cornerbacks. Really, I mean, that's pretty wide open. You know, I I, I think it's you know you're going to get it's it's obviously going to be Jack Rabbit and Eli Apple. You know, and then who's the third guy and the fourth guy? You know, I don't know. Well, one of the guys that came in as a corner and is actually now moving to safety, and Betra spoke about this, is Curtis Riley, who was with Tennessee last year. So they're really moving guys around just yeah. to get a feel for them. But it's a I big even, question mark. I even saw William Gay play a little safety yesterday um, out of practice, and it was just briefly for two plays. And, you know, that's so um, – and, again, I, I think a lot of times we've, we've talked about this before is the versatility of players means a lot. I mean, so uh, from a coaching standpoint, if I know that – a guy can play multiple positions. Um, I feel more, a lot more confidence in 
possibly holding on to another, you know, maybe one of these other guys just, but I know that I still have a little bit of help. If the guy doesn't pan out, I still have somebody that I know can still play that position, a veteran or whatever. But uh, yeah, the third one for me would probably be the linebackers. I, I'm, I'm really excited about this, this group of linebackers that are in here this year. You know, I mean, um, the new players, I mean, um, you look at Kareem Martin and, and Ogletree, uh, I DJ just think Goodson back from injury. Yep, but I think that just it's a lot of speed out there, a lot of speed. So we'll see that can cover ground east, west, north, yep. south. Then that's the versatility that Betcher is talking about that he wants to tap into to get the production. While it may not appear to be on paper, a bunch of names. Hopefully that skill set will help bring about the sacks. I am in agreement with you, Jeff, in mostly everything you said. I think if you narrow it down to the top three question marks or things to look for once training camp starts, I think the offensive line by default is number sure, one. It's default. not as if the Giants haven't addressed it. It's just, okay, now you want to see, see it translate. Yeah, yeah. And that was obviously a big concern over the last few seasons. So that, to me, by default has to be number one. Number two is the opposite side. And I'm not going to say defensive line. I'm not going to say linebackers. I'm going to say pass rush. And outside of Olivier Vernon, where is the consistency going to come in terms of the pass rush? That would be my second question when I look at the makeup of this team. And then the third question to me would be, piggybacking off of the last caller, the third, fourth, fifth corner. I almost put them in one group because it's not about who the top three are. You know, I I feel as if the conversation focuses too much on Jenkins, Apple, and Gay. No, if one of those go down, who is the reliable guy that's going to step in? And we saw that was an issue may for not this be team here. last year. May not be on yeah. the roster. I mean, maybe it's a veteran they add late before training camp. 100% with you there. But that, to me, is, I think, one of the top three question marks associated with this team as we get set for camp. And then as a sidebar to that, even though it's really not going to matter now, but just because you want to see it, you kind of want to see the development of Davis Webb a little bit. You know, kind of see how he does in in a new system, how he does in some in some preseason games, how he does in some of these practices that they're going to have with the Lions. You know, it's just a little bit of of uh, second year kind of is Davis Webb going to be that guy? And and Kyle Laletta is you know who's going to be the the backup quarterback? I mean, we I think we know it's going to be Davis Webb, but you never know. You never know. I mean, listen, if Laletta wows them in the preseason, I think it could be very well interchangeable, but. In terms of expectations, I don't think it's asking too much or it's a crazy stretch no. to say Davis Webb should win the backup job considering <laughs> no. he's got an additional year no, of experience. It's not. And, and yeah. a, a lot of times what happens is we spend so many months on the draft and then it comes and it goes. And really, you don't hear a lot about these guys that are drafted later on because you know what? They don't play a lot unless you're the one or the two. You know, that's it. I mean, I, I'm telling you right now, you know, Lorenzo Carter is a guy because of the system that he's in is probably going to get a lot of playing time, but he's not going to play as much as you think he is, okay? Some of the other guys are not going to be, you know, they're not going to play that much, but you're Saquon Barkley, certainly you are going to see him play, okay? You're going to see Will Hernandez play, and I think you're going to see B.J. Hill play a lot, yeah. okay? Um, those are your guys, but the rest of them, special teamers and, you know, and I and we mentioned this on the on the on the show yesterday about these these positions that we're questioning, not questioning if it's so much as although the, are they the right guys? Is who is going to make it? It all depends on that special teams. That special teams question is can they play a position on the special teams that warrants them to be on the roster? Yeah, yesterday we were talking about it. It's not just wide receivers and running backs. It's safeties. It's corners, defensive oh linemen, yeah. every position. 
because they're going to have to choose from that vast array of spots in order to contribute on special teams. So that obviously is going to be a key thing to watch in the preseason games, who's chipping in, who's making plays, because then that's the difference between the fourth and the fifth defensive lineman that they keep or the fifth and the sixth cornerback. Because they want to know that, hey, this guy can serve as a gunner. Or this guy's a potential return man. That's why one of the things that you and I talked about yesterday, Jeff, was while I was watching closely when they were practicing punt returns, I was noticing who was in the mix. And a lot of wide receivers, no surprise, were fielding punts. And you're saying to yourself, well, Travis Rudolph is in that mix for that fourth, fifth wide receiver, and Roger Lewis is, and Khalif Raymond is, and all of these guys that we constantly talk about. If they could prove to return, then that's another check mark next to their name in terms of solidifying a spot. Well, I'm looking at the depth chart right now. They who do you think they who do you think that they are listing? Don't look at it. Okay, Lance. I'm not looking what at it. I'm sorry. My apologies. Well, I thought we were having a conversation. I think you were going to test me. So but go who, ahead. I didn't see who, much of anything. Who anyway. do you? Th- you were moving the screen too quickly. A punt returner. Who the, this is the the depth chart I have up here. They have listed a first and a second. Well, this team. is also not Giants.com. We should mention this is a different website that you're looking at. Correct? Yeah, this is uh, our lads. Okay, our lads is very good in terms okay. of developing depth charts. So who do they have listed as the starting punt returner? You're asking me right now. I would say, boy, no boy is not. That's is not. Who my, is. my my guess would be, do they have Sterling Shepard? As he number is, one? He is number two. He's number two. Okay. I thought they would have had Shepard as number one. So then... You did. You just mentioned him a minute ago. So one of the guys you did mention. It was one of the guys that I mentioned. Yeah. Oh, I see. I wouldn't have thought they put Travis Rudolph to have as number one. Did you... Did you Khalif uh, Raymond? Yeah. Who did most of it last year. So basically, they kept last year's okay. depth chart. That's essentially All what right. they did. They probably haven't made any tweaks to it. I don't, I don't think most people would project, though, him as number one in terms of the punt return job. If anything, I would have thought maybe they would have thrown out Odell Beckham there, here or there. And I can't even see Sterling Shepard being the main punt return guy. No, not the every down guy. But I could see him and Beckham being tossed out there. But in terms of who would be the every down guy that they constantly look to return punts? Well, I mean, we're so used to A guy like Travis Rudolph, I mean, certainly has an opportunity. Or Roger Lewis, all those guys who are the third, fourth receiver – you know, because you feel like you're not going to run them into the ground if you throw them in that spot. Yeah. That's well, we're why. so used to having a guy like um, Harris who was legitimately a punt returner. And well, Cody Latimer then. I mean, is another guy we, okay. we've got to yeah. take into consideration. But, you know, do they want to only use one guy on kickoff and one guy on punt? Do they want to utilize both? Yeah. How much of a role is Saquon Barkley going to have on kickoffs? You know, all of those question marks, I think, come to the forefront. Latimer, I think, is the easy one to lay out there, but... I even think if Latimer starts to play a definitive bigger role as the number three receiver, Jeff, yeah. then they may get to the point where they don't want to utilize him on special teams all the time. I, I can That's that. more of a reason why a guy like Travis Rudolph or Roger Lewis, I think, would need to prove that they can return punts. Yeah, I I, I just don't think that this is you know, it's so, so early to even look at this thing. To, to well, that's why the Giants are not even having the conversation yeah. about publishing anything because the coaching staff will tell you we're testing out so many guys at this point, be extremely premature. Absolutely. All right, let's head back to the phone lines at 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants chat on Twitter. Steve is on Staten Island. Steve, what's happening? Hey, good afternoon, guys. How are you? Good. Doing well, Steve. What do you got for us? Uh... Well, I, I, you know, I hate to keep hearing about this stuff, putting, putting our uh, big-time guys in the pump returns, but I'm not even going to go there. You know how I feel about Atlanta already. I, 
I just can't. After the Jason Seahorn thing. Yeah, but I, I, I mean, I just. I just no, and I get where you're coming from, and there's a lot of Giants fans, I'm sure, that echo your sentiments, but I'm always of the philosophy, if you have a great talent on your team, the worst thing you could do is hold that talent back, and I always reference Antonio Brown with the Pittsburgh Steelers. They don't shy away from throwing him out there as the main punt returner, Steve. So if they could throw him out there and they know he's an X factor, then why shouldn't any other team feel the same way? Yeah, I, I get it. You know, I, I just have that memory in my head. Just, uh, and I get I that. I saw the play, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know. Anyway, I wanted to talk about the, um, you know, when you get down to the final cuts, right, and, and uh, you know, when you pick up guys off the scrap heap, you know, whatever that might be, you know, at the end of the day, do we have to actually get down to the final 53 before you start to make those kinds of moves? Is that how that works? Yeah, normally. Can you explain that to me? Well, normally there's a deadline. I mean, I don't know the date off the top of my head, but it's normally by like Sunday at 4 o'clock. No, no, Saturday at 4 o'clock. The Saturday before the first week of the season at 4 p.m. Eastern, you have to get your roster down to 53. So then what happens, Steve, is all the teams are going to be letting go of players because they're narrowing it down to 53. So. You then can make a change, but you already have had to get down to the 53. Case in point, if you remember, the Ross Cockrell move was made right as they were narrowing down the 53-man roster. And then I think if I'm correct, they Dante Dion okay. was let go That's right. to make room for Ross Cockrell. Right, so Dion had on, a spot in and, the 53, right. and then they made a tweak because they all of a sudden negotiated a deal with the and Pittsburgh And then he went Steelers. on the practice squad, which, then, they, which the correct. next day they, they have a certain amount of time to do that. The Sunday after they finalize on Saturday to the 53. So to answer your question, when, when the most of these free agents become available, they're becoming available, Steve, because all of these teams have gotten down to 53. Now, you will see some players get released before the 53 because it depends on how teams want to make their decisions. And then, yeah, you can then swap out a player before you get to the 53. Sure. As long as you do it before the deadline, which is that Saturday. Okay, so you, you actually cannot go past the 53 no. is what you say. Period. No. Well, once, sat once that Saturday 4 p.m. Eastern deadline arrives, you cannot add an additional player. If you're going to make a change, you got to get rid of a guy to then create an open spot. And it also, it also means you don't have to be at 53. You, there are some teams yeah. that are 51. You know, they just, they just, you know. And you may wait. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They wait another player. Okay. Yeah. You know, right now, you know, the battle at right tackle is between uh, Wheeler and Flowers. That's pretty much it, right, as far as our depth go there? Well, I, I, don't, think, ex I, I don't expect any offensive tackles to show up in the final cuts, well, to be I, honest. I think on, know, on, on, paper, on paper, that's that's what it is, okay? Um, you know, and then you've got this Nick Becton kid that's, that's, that's here. Um it's a street free agent in 2014, so he's been in the league a long. A yeah, he's season. been the primary backup to Solder at left tackle. Yeah, yeah, but they have him listed on this depth chart, which I'm just it, 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 it's totally wrong because I can tell you right now that they have this. They have um, they have Curtis Riley as being the holder, which by the way he's he's not going to be the holder. So he's a cornerback. So there you go. It's so. a work in progress. The depth chart okay, that you're looking at. Yeah. And the last thing I got, if you don't mind, now, right now we have Rojas in, as the kicker. And, you know, last year, you know, look, he was a rookie and whatever. And at some points, you know, it looked to me like the game just might have been bigger than him, okay, at certain points. Okay. And, and, and my question is, Jesus, uh, 
who who could possibly be out there? I know we who we we signed somebody late last year to come into camp. Mike Nugent. Um, yeah, Nugent. But geez, I don't. I don't a really good even see anybody out there. I think there are a few free agent kickers. I mean, we can look it up for you. There are a few guys here. For example, uh, Blair Walsh is still out there, the former Vikings and Seahawks kicker. Nick Falk, who is with the Jets and the Cowboys, is still out there. Uh, those two guys are, are probably the most prevalent names. For, when... for veterans, yeah. Correct. But who, I who will tell you, they, right they, have a, they have a kid by the name of Marshall Cohn, K-O-E-H-N, Cohn. I think that's how you say it. Um, he was actually with the Minnesota Vikings last year. If you look at the, the deal, um, he's waived in September 17th. He he almost made the team. I was talking to Coach Prefer the other day, Mike Prefer, who was a special teams coach with me back in the day. He's the special teams coach for the Vikings. Um, both the kicker and the punter that are here now were in the Vikings with the uh, organization yep. last year uh, temporarily. Um, and But he told me that Marshall Cohn – was a extra point away from winning the job from Kyle Forbath last year. Interesting. And that he missed an extra point in a third preseason game. And Mike Zimmer told Mike during the game, he's out of here. I don't want him on Wow. <laughs> it literally came down to that one <laughs> yeah. extra point. And so when I asked him a little bit about him, he said, listen, Jeff, he's got a strong leg and he's a competitor. Um, he's, you know, he's young, like all the kickers, same, same with Aldrich. So in my opinion, I honestly believe – that these two kids are going to battle it out. I don't know if they're going to bring in a veteran. And if they do, um, they don't have to. They don't have to bring in a veteran because uh, they'll have a good competition with these two guys. The veteran move will be if we, one of these one of these two guys can't make the team and they're both horrible, or then they can bring a veteran. struggling in the preseason, correct. But I think these are the guys that they're going to go to camp with. I would agree with you. I, I mean, I, I could see them certainly trying to test the two young guys out, and then it's not as if – these kickers are being signed left and right every single day. They could always bring somebody in two or three weeks into the training yeah. camp session if they don't feel content with either one of them. And, and oh, by the way, Mike Nugent is on the market still as well. <laughs> so there you go, if they choose to go in that direction. Well, again. I think that last year they brought Mike Nugent in here because Aldrich Rosas was young, and they wanted him to learn from Mike Nugent. And Mike Nugent turned around and had a great preseason. Phenomenal. And then he ended up you know, getting a job. Um, so... But I think that, you know, at this situation, I think they'll, they'll both keep it on the punting side of it. You know, Riley, who came from Denver for an unconditional seventh-round draft pick. So that means if he makes the team, they give up a seventh-round draft pick. If he doesn't, then no big deal. So they have another guy here, ironically, made it through uh, the preseason last year in Minnesota and ended, ended up getting cut. So another Minnesota kicker comes in here. Now, did it come down to one punt as well, just like the kicker? <laughs> that did, I don't know. Did you know. get to any that I sources don't know. with respect to that? But okay. um, <laughs> I know that he's got a, a big big leg um, from what Mike Prefer told me. Um, just spoke with him this morning. Uh, because they their, their kicker up there is Ryan Quigley, or their punter. Yeah, Ryan Quigley. And um, – he was asking me if if I could uh, you know have have some a few words with with Quigley because oh, nice. he's a directional kicking guy and um, he just wants to you know pick my brain which I told him that's fine absolutely Jeff Fiegel's the consultant Steve right. appreciate the phone call thanks so much for hey Steve in. good talking to you as always buddy thank you all right listen next time call me Pete that's my name not Steve. 
Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. I feel like we've been calling you Steve, Pete. We were getting correct. I know. I correct. didn't want to interrupt. All right. You well, no, listen. Feel free to correct us. And we the don't only reason we did it because yeah. Dave Dave put it up there as Steve. So we're going to. That's all right. That's, that's it. Now, listen, Jeff, don't forget you were calling me uh, uh, Alapio Tilapia. Yeah, I like tilapia. that one, too. Yeah, Tilapia. That might even be <laughs> all easier. All right, Pete. I'm just going to tell you that, that, that I probably will call him Tilapia once. once. <laughs> During the season. <laughs> well, listen, for the sake of comic relief, I'm all for you butchering tilapia. his name. Tilapia. Yes. <laughs> listen, I, but the thing is, if I do say tilapia, you know who I'm talking well, exactly. about. Exactly. Everybody yeah. will know because you'll have enough mental reps and you'll have said it verbally tilapia, on this program tilapio. that I think everybody will get an idea. Omame. Let's I'm just going to think of edamame for omame. That's probably the best way. I think most people are thinking along edamame. your lines as well. Okay. Yeah. Just Ed think of food. Edamame and, and tilapia. Perfect. There you go. Okay. Sounds Perfect like sushi combo. to me. And they both play on the offensive line. So there you go. Okay. We're bringing it all together. Let's head back to the phone lines. Jason is in Denmark. Jason, what's happening? Hey, what's going on, fellas? How y'all doing today? Doing right, Jason. Hey, um, on the roster, the medical people from last year, who's the biggest concern right now? as far as the people that went out with medical last year. Well, i got to believe that you look at the two top guys would be Landon Collins and uh, Odell Beckham. Now, Odell Beckham has been cleared, so, you know, and I don't know about Landon Collins being cleared yet. Well, but... he had taken off the red jersey in the last OTA, so, I mean, he's at least making progress and moving along. Okay. But once we get to camp is when we'll truly know. But I think you look at are. those guys there as your top two, in my opinion, right? Um, I think kinda... Jenkins is another guy you throw in there. Yeah. I mean, given the fact that you know he suffered a late injury. Right, right. So he's right. somebody also who is a notable name in an extremely important position. And with the other one, too, that not so much like a serious injury or whatever, but just being to the point of staying healthy would be Olivier Vernon. I mean – he just seems to be, you know, he plays a lot. A but nagging just, injury. Nagging just year. gets hurt and something just carries it through the whole season. But um, if I had, I would say Landon Collins to me just because I haven't seen him do the work um, out of practice. Not to say he's not doing the work per se. I mean, he's working, but he's not out there running routes and, and doing things like Odell Beckham is at this point. Well, Vernon, I'm not too concerned about it. And the reason being, Jeff, is if you look at his track record, he had he not missed a game yeah, until no, this plays. season. Yeah. So I, I think you can at least give him maybe okay. the benefit of the doubt to say Vernon's been a durable player over the course of career. I, I tend to shy away from you can't label Olivier Vernon as an injury plague player. I see some people referring to that. The guy missed four games this season for the first time in his career. How is all of a sudden that an no, injury plague player? I, okay. No, no, yeah. I, I'm not faulting you for bringing him up. I think it's sure. fair to bring him up. Sure but you are. I, I've seen uh, I've seen some <laughs> narratives out there where Olivier Vernon's an injury. I'm just trying player, to say that. I'm like, come I, on. I don't. I hope this isn't a like a trend coming on where, he, where he didn't miss it before and now he's going to be starting to that. it. So. That, that's fair. I, I'll give you that. But but the guy does play. He does coming here. He played tons and tons of football games and yeah. You know. But answer your question. I would say Landon Collins to me would be the guy I'm not concerned about. I'm not concerned about it at all. I'm just. I'm just waiting to see the outcome of, of the healing process and when he's he'll be ready for training camp. He will. Both of right, them. Right. Yeah, I'll actually I'll throw you know, one more name out, Jason. The guy that probably I have the biggest question mark about is BJ Goodson. Because Goodson doesn't right. have a huge resume. Goodson flashed last year and then obviously was sidelined with the injury. So that's a guy who I think is extremely important to this defense playing next to Alec Ogletree. I mean, you want to make sure that you can at least get 
you know, 12, 13 games out of B.J. Goodson this year. So that, to me, I think is at the top of the list amongst all the injuries, mainly because Landon Collins also missed the game for the first time in his career this year, just like Olivier Vernon. So, you know, he doesn't have that track record. Jenkins has been a fairly durable player for the most part. And, you know, Beckham, looks like we lost Jason. So, Jason, if you want to give us a ring back, uh, we'll try to get your other thoughts here on the air. So, you know, Goodson, small sample size, he would be somebody that I think would come to the forefront when you look about guys who are trying to bounce back from injuries. Well, I mean, I, I'm just going down the list of, of guys I see here um, that played on this team last year that missed some games. I mean, Andrew Adams is a guy that, you know, couldn't stay healthy the whole season. Um you know, I don't know a lot about Alec Ogletree other than the fact that just... He, he's he, mainly been healthy. There was one season yeah. where he had a significant injury where he missed the majority of the year. Outside of that, it's been fairly durable. Yeah, I, I think those are those are your guys. I mean, most of the guys that got hurt last year that, you know, stayed hurt, and they're not back, a lot of them. I mean, Roger Lewis was hurt, uh, but he's back. But I think that, you know, Beckham... And Collins are the biggest two question marks as far as when it comes to injuries, and I think both of them are on pace to, to be able to play and, and start the season fine. Well, the good news for Beckham is he's well beyond surgery at this point. Oh, well he's beyond. He's in full recovery mode at this point. So you just want to now say, all right, put the pads on, embrace the physicality, let's go to work. Collins, the positive with Collins is at least they realized it wasn't healing correctly after he had his initial surgery, and they immediately corrected it. Because the worst thing that could have happened, Jeff, is he then waits even longer. Oh, you get he... closer to training camp. Then you have the surgery again. And then all of a sudden, he's a spectator. You don't want to get into that position. That was a good catch, as they say. Correct. <laughs> the, the fact that they realized, hey, you know what? It's not healing the way we want it. Let's go back under the knife and Ooh. take care of business right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. And that, that, that's that's tough, you know, knowing that you're rehabbing and all of a sudden it's not healing the way it's supposed to. And now yeah. you're like, oh, my God. So everything I've done up to this point has been a waste. But, you know, hey, he'll be back. And uh, the, the, uh, interesting to see how he plays in this better system. You know, you look at uh, how the Honey Badger played in in that system down in Arizona. And I, I mean, collectively, I just really am excited to see how this defense adapts to James Betcher, the way he calls games and how it, they change constantly. They're not a they're not a very they're not a guys that to show up and they're in the three, four and they stay in it. They change a lot of def, a lot of personnel. Um uh, mixes coming in and going and you know you're going to see a lot of nickel and dime on second down third whatever it is there's going to be tons of different changes going on which will be exciting to see and I think there's going to they're going to get after the quarterback and in, in, in a little bit of different ways rather than the traditional defensive ends and defensive tackles well, it'll be a big part of seeing how far this defense could go and how consistent this defense could go whether or not you have a multitude of guys that could get to the quarterback and that's something that Petra will be looking for once they put the pads on in training camp that's going to wrap up the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Two days of mandatory minicamp in the books. Tomorrow, we wrap up mandatory minicamp. Once again, Big Blue Kickoff Live will be at 1 p.m. Eastern, starting an hour later to accommodate all of the media availabilities. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. Stay yep. locked to Giants.com for all the latest. For Jeff Eagles, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday right here on Giants.com. Have a good one.